0: Despite such futuristic architecture and a tradition of fantastical tales, the Muslim world is still not commonly associated with science fiction. Religion, repression, and rote learning have often been blamed for a perceived lack of creativity, imagination, and future-oriented thought. Nevertheless, even authoritarian countries have produced highly imaginative accounts on one of the frontiers of knowledge, astrobiology or the study of life in the universe. Despite the influence of conservatives, I argue that the Islamic tradition has been generally supportive of conceptions of extraterrestrial life. For example, the Qur'an repeatedly refers to God as Lord of the worlds, and Muslims have combined such notions with global astrobiological research and science fiction. The universe's strangest beings can thus be seen as creations, and evidence for the existence of an all-powerful god. Governments, too, have played a positive role through their support of scientific research and writing. In any case, repression probably helped science fiction more than hurt it. Censorship arguably encouraged authors to disguise criticism of contemporary politics by setting plots in future times and on distant planets. If you are looking to explore connections between science, culture, and politics in the Muslim world further, I hope this book will be insightful for you. It might also be stimulating if you ever wonder about some of humanity's biggest questions. Are we alone in the universe? And what would it mean for one of our greatest faiths if we are not? End quote. This is a key passage in a new book by Jörg Matthias Determann called Islam, Science Fiction, and Extraterrestrial Life. The Culture of Astrobiology in the Muslim World, published by I.B. Taurus earlier this year, 2020. Jurg Matthias Dederman is Associate Professor of History in the Department of Liberal Arts and Sciences at Virginia Commonwealth University in Qatar. Previously, Dederman worked as a postdoctoral researcher at Zentrum Moderner Orient and Berlin Graduate School of Muslim Cultures and Societies at the Free Universitat in Berlin. He also taught At King Saud University and was a visiting scholar at the King Faisal Center for Research and Islamic Studies in Riyadh. He holds a doctorate from the School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, at the University of London, and master's degrees from the University of Vienna. He is the author of four books published by I.B. Taurus, Islam, Science Fiction, and Extraterrestrial Life, which we will be discussing today, Space, Science, and the Arab World, researching biology and evolution in the Gulf states, and history historiography in Saudi Arabia. Without further ado, I would love to m- welcome our friend Matthias to the podcast. Welcome, Professor.
1: Thank you so much, Asad, for having me. It's a great honor and a great privilege to be here.
0: The honor and privilege is all ours. Thank you so much for joining us and for this wonderful uh, cosmic journey that you take us on in this and as you see, in, in the little-known dimensions of Muslim culture and religion. Um, as always, before we start going into the meat of the book, we'd love to hear a little, little bit about you, your life, your intellectual journey. Um, so before we go on this cosmic journey, please do offer us a, a, a glimpse into your cosmic journey, your life. How did you come to writing a book uh, on what you call the culture of astrobiology in the Muslim world?
1: Thank you very much, Asad. I've been, as many people are, uh, a fan of science fiction since my childhood. I've loved Star Trek, Star Wars. Uh, I've loved numerous video games such as StarCraft. But I've also had an interest in history. And uh, until this book, I perhaps never found a way to really combine those histories. I never thought that it was possible to really combine those, uh, those histories specifically. I studied history and Arabic studies at the university of Vienna. And that was quite far from science fiction. Perhaps the closest thing there were classes that I took in the history of science. Um, Yeah. uh, And my academic journey so far has been largely in that field, uh, history of science, history of learning, history of scholarship. And uh, uh, the more I researched, in particular, the history of astronomy and space science in the modern Middle East, I realized that Science is very, very hard to separate from its broader culture. Uh, and in the modern era and the contemporary era, uh, part of the culture of science is science fiction. So, through studying uh, space science in the Arab world for my last book, I got to, re- to read more and more uh, about science fiction in Arabic uh, and science fiction in the Muslim world in general. And that led me back to my childhood interests uh, in science fiction and also to that question uh, that perhaps most people in the world have thought about at one point, Uh, like, are we alone in the universe? Uh, Are there intelligent creatures intelligent civilizations out there uh, on other planets, in other planetary systems, uh, in other galaxies. Uh, So uh, it has been super fascinating, super stimulating, and super fun for me to write this book. So I feel very blessed and very fortunate that uh, I had the opportunity, that I had the time and resources uh, to dedicate myself to this topic uh, science fiction in the Muslim world, especially regarding the question of extraterrestrial life
0: thank you so much for that um, so as a follow up to that um, I like I would I would like for us to go through a little bit of some of the the methodologies and sources that you used um, to write this spectacular book um, so I know you worked with several several languages um, and several different kinds of intellectual and creative uh, production. Would you would you be able to give us a glimpse into sort of some of these sources that you used? It was it fiction novels, was it newspapers, was it Islamic fatwa, um, and what is uh, what is what is the um, I guess in, in, in brief, what what are the 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 linguistic the the temporal and the spatial um, characteristics of your sources and methods. Thank you. So
1: in terms of time frame, this is a modern history uh, starting largely uh, around 1800 or so uh, and going to the present. The modern focus has to do in, uh, in part with the Copernican worldview uh, that is associated with the idea of the plurality of worlds. Uh, so when one adopts the heliocentric worldview in which the sun is in the center, then Earth becomes a planet like others, and other planets potentially become other Earths. Uh, So, uh, obviously, the idea of the plurality of worlds has older roots, uh, but specifically the idea of other inhabited planets, uh, the idea of, for instance, an inhabited Mars or life on Venus, That is specifically a modern idea has been described as a myth of the modern age. Uh, So the focus on my book is largely uh, the last two centuries, uh, even more precisely with an emphasis uh, on the last century, perhaps last 50 years. I'm a historian. I love working in archives. I love working with archival documents, and I have done that a lot with my previous books. This with this book actually not so much, I dealt a lot more with published sources. So published science fiction novels, published science fiction short stories, uh, screened science fiction movies downloaded science fiction games and so on. Uh, so I was dealing with a lot more uh, with published materials, materials that are easier to access. A lot of science fiction movies, f- for instance, uh, are viewable via YouTube or platforms like that. Uh, so I had it easier in accessing uh, the sources physically or rather virtually Perhaps uh, the more challenging part for this study was the breadth of the languages uh, that I was hoping to cover. So whereas my previous books had focused on the Arab world, uh, for this book I wanted to include science fiction in Persian, in Urdu, in Turkish, in Indonesian, Malaysian, uh, Bengali and fortunately I had the support of extremely talented and dedicated student research assistants here at my university. Um, I'm hugely indebted to them and could not have written the book without their support.
0: Thank you so much for that and and the, the dedication of of, your, of yourself and your student research as assistants certainly shows um, because there's there's a uh, you know, and to our listeners, I highly encourage you to purchase the book because there's a breadth uh, and depth of richness here that I, I, I have yet to see um, anywhere else, and it's all in one place. And so I guess now we can get started now with some of the uh, particularities. You you open up, you know, with a chapter called "Lord of the Worlds," drawing from you know the 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 Quranic sort of idiom, um, and you know, the scene that you open up with is quite uh, climactic, uh, the war in Syria, right? You write about this one this one young uh, surrealist artist named Aham Jab, um, who depicts the war through visual artistry and imagery uh, of Martians, of UFOs. And he uses that as a symbol to uh, represent, um, you know, greed and, and war. And so I'm curious to know, um you know what role uh how how did science fiction uh shape and w- was shaped by uh war and conflict uh in the arab spring or after the arab spring and 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 how did that you know shape the direction of uh science fiction within that domain thank you so
1: the arab world is perhaps
0: still not
1: widely associated with with science fiction right popular western media representation depict the arab world as a place of authoritarianism repression conservatism uh, and revolutions uh, against those uh, those forms of repression, Uh, but still uh, commonly the Arab world is not depicted, again, in Western media as a very future-oriented place. However, uh, Syria and many other uh, Arab countries and Muslim-majority countries have imbibed space culture or astro-culture just like people all around the world, uh, now Arabs and Muslims have been very, very excited about uh, the space race between the Soviet Union and the United States of America during the Cold War. Uh, but they followed the space exploration. They've participated in space science. Syria sent a cosmonaut to the... Uh, Space Station Mir in the 1980s on a Soviet rocket. Uh, Mohammed Faris, that cosmonaut, came back to Syria as a national hero. There have also been important producers of science fiction in uh, uh, in Syria. There is a very well known, extremely prolific science fiction author and broadcaster named Talib Omran. So besides Talib Omran, this great uh, Syrian science fiction author and broadcaster and editor, uh, we've had the broadcasting of Arabic dubbed science fiction television series from Japan since Uh, the 1980s. So more than a generation uh, or or two of of Syrians have grown up with astro-culture, space culture in various forms. Uh, And so thinking about the universe, thinking about space has been as much part uh, of modern Arab societies as they've been uh, part of societies elsewhere around the world. Uh, so it is not surprising that the kind of creativity that, and originality that we've seen unleashed in the art coming out of the Syrian Civil War and the Syrian Revolution, that this art uh, would also include science fiction, such as the fantastic works by Iham Jabbar.
0: Thanks so much for that. And you know, I think what's 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 really fascinating is that, you know, sometimes it's it's not peace but but conflict that ends up producing some of the, the finest art and some of the finest uh, science fiction and some of the, the finest creativity. Um, and that's always been a fascinating paradox of the, the human experience for me. Um, moving on to your to your next chapter which is entitled Trips, uh, sorry, uh, Chapter 2, titled Missions and Mars. Here you talk about the role of missionaries in the formation of uh, science fiction, but not just the role of missionaries, but also their interlocutors, people in the Muslim-majority world um, engaging with uh, Christian missionaries uh, and responding to them. Uh, with regards to debates concerning science, um, as we know, science became a, a contested battlefield during the colonial period, um, and you know the Muslim populations, whether in, in Egypt or in India or in the Levant, um, they were not without agency. They were they were very much um, uh, dealing with these some of these same questions and concerns. Uh, animating scientists in the, I guess, what you would call Western Europe. Um, so I would be curious now here uh, if you could, you know, perhaps give us a, a an overview of what those uh, polemics looked like, what those debates looked like between, uh, you know, Christian missionaries and their 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 Muslim interlocutors, um, as it concerns science fiction. Did, did they did they debate these things, whether or not they're aliens, or you know what role extraterrestrial life should have for religious believers? and how that how did that ultimately shape the production of uh, science fiction and art and 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 so forth in the, the these uh, uh, Muslim majority societies? Thank you, Asad. So
1: in the modern era, missionaries, Christian missionaries, as well as colonial administrators, have tried to use science in order to convince colonized subjects, Muslim peoples, of European and Western superiority, including the superiority of the Christian faith, uh, and whether it is in its Protestant or it, it, in its Catholic variant. Marwa Echakri, uh, a wonderful scholar at uh, Columbia University, has described uh, the gospel of science, uh, as she calls it, uh, with regards to biology and Darwinian thought uh, Uh, in a detailed way. However, missionaries and colonial administrators have also tried to use astronomical knowledge in order to show that how the West is superior and how the colonized peoples of the East should leave their traditions behind and espouse what Westerners are bringing to them. Obviously, if uh, this kind of thinking and uh, uh, created resistance, that very few Muslims were willing to abandon their religion and espouse Christianity. On the contrary, uh, they rather uh, sought to defend their own faith and uh, they sought to enforce the the superiority of Islam over Christianity. And a number of Muslim scholars used the Qur'an itself as a source for science, trying to read modern scientific knowledge and understandings in the Qur'an. Uh, And that includes uh, the notion of the plurality of worlds, that the Quran speaks of God as Lord of the worlds. And in a modern astronomical understanding, then in the view of those Muslims, the Quran was then closer to Yeah, to the modern astronomical understanding of Earth being only one planet out of many. The Quran being closer uh, than many Catholic teachings, for instance, which were opposed to the idea of the plurality of worlds uh, for a long time. And, for instance, the example of Giordano Bruno. uh, a Christian monk who was burned at the stake in part for professing the idea of the the plurality of worlds, this example was taken up by Muslims in order to uh, show how actually Catholicism or Christianity was more opposed to modern science or modern astronomy than Islam. Uh, so, in, uh, in other words, uh, we've had debates here between Christian missionaries, colonial administrators, and their interlocutors, their Muslim interlocutors, interlocutors, who used science in order to defend their faith.
0: I want to bring it now closer to the present, moving to your next chapter, entitled Trips to the Moon. Um, you know, where you, where you focus now on Islam in the space age or, is, quote-unquote, Islamic science fiction in the space age, um, you know, where the United States and the Soviet Union were competing um, in this realm, particularly in politics. Um, and yet, at, while at the same time, um, in the Muslim-majority world, um, there was an, an increased production in cinema, uh, whether in Egypt or in Turkey or in Pakistan, um, and so I'm curious to know how did the space age impact the cinema in the Muslim majority the world, particularly as it concerns um, science fiction, and what 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 does it what does it tell us about um, modern cinema in these places?
1: Thank you. Like you said, Egypt, Turkey, and India, obviously, with its large Muslim population as well, uh, developed leading film industries in the global south, uh, in Africa and Asia. Uh, Cairo, Alexandria, Istanbul, uh, Mumbai, and other places were major centers for film production. Speculative film production in general, globally, was uh, very connected to the 1001 Nights, the Arabian Nights. So a lot of Western films in the speculative fiction genre, so fantasy uh, and related subjects, where about the Arabian Nights or used themes from the Arabian Nights or when somehow indebted uh, to the Arabian Nights. Uh, so it is then not surprising that also uh, Muslim majority lands found, uh, found it easy to go into science fiction uh, and speculative fiction more broadly with uh, the Arabian Nights, the 1001 Nights being part of Popular heritage. The uh, in addition to that heritage, science fiction filmmaking in the Muslim world has also been influenced by uh, Hollywood and Western production more broadly. Uh, there's a whole subgenre of Turkish cinema uh, that is sometimes called Turksploitation, so a form of Turkish exploitation films uh, in which Turkish authors, filmmakers, uh, directors have been copying but also adapting uh, in original ways, sometimes uh, satirizing uh, Western science fiction productions uh, during the 1950s, during the 1960s. Uh, during the 1970s. So we see a lot of connection here between global cinema and the cinema of the Muslim world. And these kinds of circulations also uh, went the other way. So if uh, we look at, for instance, for instance, uh, Star Wars, we can find a lot of Eastern themes Uh, And, of course, Eastern locations. Uh, So Star Wars movies uh, were partly shot in Tunisia, for instance, and more recently in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, So Muslim world's science fiction production really uh, developed in connection with Western and global cinema and in a constant conversation with it.
0: Moving to the next chapter, which you call Islamic UFO religions, something I'm very very curious about. Um, I would love to know, you know, what 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 those are. What what are Islamic UFO religions? But more more interestingly as well, I, I very much appreciate the fact that, you know, up until now we've looked at what we call quote unquote the Muslim majority world or the Muslim world or the Islamic world. Um, in this chapter, what really stuck out to me is that, you know, you, you move away from that, uh, that spatial terrain. You, you write, quote, Arguably, some of the most inventive leaders of Islamic UFO religions emerged outside of Muslim-majority countries. In the USA, religious freedoms combined with racial oppression made many black Americans seek alternatives to Christianity, the faith of their former slaveholders. Some new groups sought salvation in science and technology, including advanced and mysterious flying saucers. Afrofuturists were especially attracted by non-Western cosmologies and mythologies that were seen as distant from mainstream white culture. A- extraterrestrial, ancient Egyptian, Jewish, and Islamic civilizations all served as sources for the spiritual and social empowerment of African Americans, end quote. So I'm curious here... Um, how did how did you know this concept of an Islamic UFO religion play out uh, among African American and Black Muslims in the United States, and how did they draw from you know these various uh, extraterrestrial, ancient Egyptian, Jewish, and Islamic civilizations from all over the world uh, to develop that? Thank you, Asad. Well, uh, you're
1: sitting in Brooklyn. Part of New York. And of course, Brooklyn has been this incredibly vibrant, creative space uh, for decades. Uh, and uh, one of its important communities has, of course, been the African American community. The African American community, as we can see now, and as we've seen during the last few years with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement have faced enormous repression, have faced enormous racism, uh, state control, uh, police brutality, uh, different uh, African-American movements have faced uh, surveillance by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and so on. Uh, So there have been enormous constraints uh, Put on, uh, on African Americans. However, uh, sometimes these constraints, r- repression, difficulties uh, can also be enabling for creativity. Uh, and we've seen wonderful cultures and subcultures come out, uh, out of urban, uh, inner city. F- like African American neighborhoods and communities. Uh, and some of those m- movements have also been Islamic UFO religions. Perhaps the most important one has been the Nation of Islam, with its idea and belief in a mothership or mother wheel. A technological and scientific wonder machine that would bring salvation for the African American Muslims, for the Nation of Islam community, and that would end white supremacy and white domination. The Nation of Islam had also its competitors, and here is where we can see the religious freedom that uh, the United States have play a a role. Whereas in countries like Saudi Arabia, for instance, the the ability to form new religious movements have been more constrained. Uh, In America, maybe it has not been quite a free-for-all, but there has certainly been a lot of leeway Uh, for new leaders to rise up and establish their own uh, movements, syncretic beliefs, and so on. Uh, Another competitor religion to the nation of Islam has been the Nuwabian nation, a community, a group that itself changed various names uh, and its ideas uh, over time. Uh, But at some point, it held the belief that its leader, Malachi York, or Dwight York, uh, who has been in federal prison uh, now for a number of years, uh, serving a life sentence without parole, this Malachi Z. York was at a time believed to be an extraterrestrial being uh, from a distant galaxy. Uh, So movements like that, like the Nawabian Nation, like the Nation of Islam, have combined ideas of science, technology, uh, of uh, UFOs, flying saucers, and uh, Islamic traditions to form highly original
0: new communities. Thank you for the shout out to Brooklyn, um, to our listeners. You know that, that that was not a paid advertisement. I did not tell him to do that either. Um, but uh, thank you so much for that. Um, moving on to, you know, concept of nation, right? We, we're we're talking about now um, a collective national identity. Um, you know, whether that take the, you know, the form of a movement. Uh, or whether it take the form of a modern nation state. Your next chapter is called Building Nations and Worlds. And here you speak specifically about um, various national movements or even anti-national movements um, and how they were either shaped or challenged um, by science fiction as a genre. I'm curious to know, If you can provide us an example or two of these um, and in in showing us what role, um, you know, science fiction plays in either creating or contesting the idea of a nation. Thank you, Asad. So
1: this is a chapter that focuses in particular on the Decades in the second half of the 20th century of post-colonial nation-building, right? So uh, the decades in which countries like Pakistan or Egypt came out of colonial domination. uh, These were also times of increasing mass literacy, uh, where... uh, Suddenly, millions of more people had the ability uh, to read, uh, where printing also became cheaper, and where you had a spread of pulp fiction literature. Uh, so, the kind of uh, sort of affordable, or should I say cheap, uh, spy novels, romance novels, uh, science fiction uh, uh, novels. So, the, the kind of uh, books that you could sort of buy at every street corner uh, and so on for very, very little money. Uh, these Pulp Fiction uh, works were not high literature. They were not regarded as of very high literary value, uh, even though they obviously uh, attracted Uh, like millions of readers. Uh, These kinds of pulp fiction works, uh, they did not normally enjoy any patronage from state institutions. Instead, uh, we're talking here about a capitalist enterprise, right? We're talking about uh, private presses uh, with a few authors who are trying to Create their own versions of, let's say, Ian Fleming's James Bond uh, that were uh, trying to create in an Egyptian form of a pocketbook, for instance. Uh, so, uh, because uh, these books operated in a capitalist era, they were trying to be as appealing as possible uh, to a mass market. And one way of appealing to a mass market in the context of colonial uh, nation building was to create stories about national heroes. Uh, So, for instance, Rajul al-Mustahir, Man of the Impossible uh, in Egypt, by Nabil Farouk, where you have uh, the kind of James Bond-like superman, man, super spy, uh, who basically defends uh, the new nation against all kinds of threats, uh, whether uh, it is the threat of, uh, let's say, the Israeli intelligence service, Mossad, or whether it is the threat of other Western powers, or it is indeed the threat of an alien invasion. Uh, So we see this Pulp Fiction really creating the figure of national heroes that millions of people
0: could cheer for. The final chapter looks at Muslim futurisms, Um, and you focus particularly on Pakistan, Iran under sanctions, um, and the the wider Gulf region. Could you give us an outline of what Muslim futurism looks like um, at this present moment? I know you 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 you're here. You go up until I think as recently as uh, just a few years ago. Um, so I'd be curious for two things: what Muslim futurism looks like right now, and uh, you know, leading up to up until this present moment. And I know you published this book. Prior to the COVID nineteen pandemic, but now we've entered, um, you know, the pandemic, and so, you know, the world has already transformed so significantly. I'm curious to know if you found something currently in the midst of the pandemic um, that could add on to some of your findings or complicate them, um, or what your projections are for the future of Muslim futurisms. Thank you. So
1: I use the plural here futurisms quite deliberately there is not just one muslim futurism Uh, the muslim world is so incredibly diverse Uh, a place like the united arab emirates uh, is quite different from syria uh, and these are just two countries within the arab world uh, Syria is quite different from a place like Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan is quite different from a place like Indonesia, of course, uh, or Malaysia. Uh, and these are just Muslim-majority countries. Obviously, uh, the Muslim world is really global uh, if it includes Muslim believers anywhere. Uh, so we have so many highly creative uh, Muslim artists, scientists, writers, etc., in the United States, in Canada, in Australia, like across Europe, and so on. Uh, so, uh, we have really a huge variety of visions in an ever increasing variety of formats as well. Uh, so, we have science fiction not just in books and films, but we've got it increasingly in computer games. Uh, So uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran uh, has a very, very interesting uh, and in some senses quite thriving video game industry. Uh, Then obviously, if you look at the other areas of the visual arts, we have so many artists working across uh, mixed media In order to give another New York based example, there's Sax Afridi, Uh, uh, another person uh, of the Pakistani diaspora uh, uh, who has uh, created an exhibition uh, uh, called Space Mosque, uh, so, setting Islam uh, like, uh, yeah, uh, in a space themed future. I should also say that within the Muslim world right you also have different kinds of futurisms so we have a bottom up futurism uh, so where you have activists people who want to resist uh, people who are otherwise not uh, not very powerful uh, creating visions of the future uh, in their science fiction, in their art, uh, yeah, uh, in order to change societies uh, from the bottom up, there's also science fiction from the top down. Uh, in uh, places like the United Arab Emirates, uh, or Qatar, or Saudi Arabia, uh, there have been state-led visions of the future. Their so-called national visions uh, that that have been formulated by governments, have been propagated by governments. Uh, There are future development plans. uh, And there is a whole visual culture and iconography uh, surrounding those government-decided visions of the future. Uh, Dubai uh, is currently finishing a museum of uh, the future in a very, very interesting Quite distinct modern Islamic architectural look. Uh, so yeah, uh, all of this is to say that uh, uh, Muslim futurisms are incredibly diverse. And I've I was lucky and fortunate that I was able to finish this book now. Uh, I would say in another 10-15 years it would be so hard to even try to uh, bring all the Muslim futurisms that exist
0: uh, within the cover of one single work. Thank you for all of that, Professor Dieterman. Um As a final question, I know we've held you up for a long time. As a final question, we'd, we'd, we'd all be very interested to know what you're currently working on, if you intend on uh, expanding upon this, or or writing on something else, um, please do let us know what are your what are your current projects at this very moment. Thank you very much. Uh,
1: so I'm still working in the broad uh, field of the history of science, and also in the broad field of the history of astronomy. Uh, but this time, I'm interested in writing a history of activism within science. So a history of gender activism, race activism, disability activism, uh, an activism that seeks to make astronomy and the space science uh, more inclusive, more equitable, uh, more diverse. And yeah, I'm especially fascinated by this idea of diversity that, for instance, nowadays scientific institutions would have a chief diversity officer and diversity in particular and, uh, and the related concept of inclusion is seen as something that uh, universally almost uh, people are striving for and that sh- people should be striving for as diversity being something that is inherently good. And sort of I'm interested at a in, as a historian in exploring that idea of diversity uh, in, with regards to astronomy, with regards to space science, with regards to science fiction as well. Uh, for instance, Star Trek has for many decades uh, created visions of space exploration as very inclusive of different gender, different races, uh, people of different backgrounds all working together as part of the same crew on the same spaceship. And in this work, I'm actually also trying to tell a global history uh, because the idea of diversity, inclusion, equity, uh, like I would argue, probably means slightly different things in different contexts, right? So if I uh, might have a conversation, let's say, in the United States about, uh, about diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, African-Americans, Hispanics uh, would certainly be part of that conversation or very, very likely. If I have a conversation about diversity in India, for instance, or Pakistan, I would, uh, uh, I would say maybe diversity would look a little different. Uh so I'm still at the very beginning at, of this project, but it's essentially a, a history of activism
0: within uh, science and science fiction. Thank you so much for that. And we'd love to have you back on the podcast to interview, about that, uh, interview you about this forthcoming uh, monograph, or at least I hope it becomes a monograph because it sounds very, very, very fascinating. Um, so thank you for joining us, Professor. Thank you
1: so much, Asad. It has been an absolute pleasure and privilege. I greatly appreciate uh, your time and the work of uh, everybody involved in the New new Books Network, uh, including the editor, of course, Marshall Poe. Thank you very much.
0: The honor is all ours. Well, there you have it, folks. Islam, science fiction, and extraterrestrial life. The Culture of Astrobiology in the Muslim World by Jörg Matthias Determann, published by IB Taurus this year, 2020. Get your hands on it soon. Thank you for coming to our show and until next time.